0: Good morning, everyone. Really good to see you all here. Prison's an easy concept, isn't it? It's still pretty straightforward, really. You, you lock up the bad guys, people who do wrong. We want to remove them from the general population, oftentimes to protect Um, People from those who are behaving in an antisocial way, theft, violence, these sorts of things. Um, We feel like there are particular forms of wickedness that deserve some sort of punishment, that deserve removing people uh, or um, denying people freedom of movement um, because they have abused their freedoms in these ways. We also hope that that might act as some sort of a deterrent um, that the idea of prison and all of its um, horrors and punishment um, will um, cause people to perhaps not uh, act in such wicked ways because of the, the threat of punishment. And um, we like to think also that in order to put people into prison that there may be some sort of a reforming element to that, that people are able to use the time where they are, um, again, you know, under the care of the state very often um, to think about what they have done, often to undertake, you know, drug or or behaviour rehabilitation, these sorts of things, Um, and then to re-enter society uh, with reformed moral character, ideally. The idea of prison we see as an an arbiter of wrongdoing. Those there um, have done the wrong thing, have um, betrayed um, the laws of the land. Of course, as with pretty much everything in the world, it's not as straightforward as that, is it? It's not as simple as that. In very many cases, it's right and it's true, and prison serves an essential function, I think, in our societies in terms of um, acting as a a, a protective device in part for those who are the victims of crime, but also those who are are perpetrators to try and um, stop that behaviour. But it hasn't always been used in this way. And if you think about biblical examples, you can recall actually quite a few biblical examples where prison isn't used as some sort of arbiter of wrongdoing. It isn't used um, for those that we would typically associate with prison. Think of Genesis chapter 39 and verse 20 and Joseph famously is, is put into prison. And he's put into prison, well, you could argue firstly by his brothers, but certainly uh, in this context by the Egyptian rulers of the time. And he's done that because he's such a bad guy, right? <laughs> no, he's done that for behaving with integrity, for refusing to do the wrong thing. And as a form of retribution, um, you know, Potiphar's wife um, makes up lies about him and he ends up in jail. 1 Kings 22 and verse 27, we have a, a depressingly familiar story here. We have Micaiah who's put into prison by King Ahab and he's put into prison by King Ahab for speaking the truth. For speaking truth to power, he is asked as a prophet of God, you know, should I go up and enter into this battle? Should I take on, you know, this enemy? Will we have victory? And he's been told by yea sayers he's been told by, you know, they call them yes-men, yeah, this is God's will, go for it, this will be great. And Micaiah says, no, this is not God's will. This is not the right thing to do. You should not do this. And so he actually gets, you read the text, he gets kind of punched in the face and then he gets taken away into prison. Why? For speaking the truth, for being honest to an audience that didn't really want to hear that. So instead of listening to the message, you put the messenger in jail. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verses 7 to 10, we have a very similar case, this time with King Asa and Hanani is the prophet. Hanani is um, speaking truth, speaking truth again about relying on an alliance with Syria. So Asa wanted to enter into an alliance with Syria in order to you know, have protection used just as a Australia has an alliance with America so that if ever we're attacked, America comes to our aid, these sorts of things. But God had said not to do that and rather that they were to trust in God and I reminds them, um, King Asa, he says, you know, God's granted you famous victories, victories over the Ethiopians, victories over others, victories over really immense armies. You don't need to do this. You're entering into a relationship with a pagan country that will only end in misery. But they don't listen. There's a great verse 9 there of Second Chronicles 16, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. He makes it plain in no uncertain terms. God will look after those who are loyal to him, but those, you know, you aren't showing that loyalty and there's going to be war and devastation. And so again, in term, you know, Asa doesn't turn away from his folly, but he jails Hanani. In Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 2, we have Jeremiah put in prison by King Zedekiah. And again... He's put in prison by King Zedekiah for speaking the truth, for speaking the truth about the imminent invasion by Babylon. And Zedekiah doesn't want to hear this. It's a really harsh message that um, that Jeremiah delivers to Zedekiah. We know this is kind of the dog days of Israel. This is the, the last throw. Um, that Assyria previously had come into Israel and now to Judah. They're being overtaken and Jeremiah for I think it's something like 50 years warns the people and he's put into a pit. He's all sorts of punishments he's given. At some point Zedekiah um, jails him for delivering again a very direct, very blunt message. And of course the great irony and the terrible irony is that Zedekiah himself, if you read on to Jeremiah 52, by the time that the Babylonians, the Chaldeans come in and take over the land, they take away the king. They take King Zedekiah and they kill his family in front of him, pluck out his eyes and put him into prison himself. Rather than listening to Jeremiah, they jailed him. In all of these cases, They weren't doing the wrong thing, were they? In fact, they were striving to do the right thing, the godly thing. It turned out to be the difficult thing. And it turned out for the audience, those with power, they chose to jail them rather than to listen to them. We see the same pattern being repeated in the New Testament. You think things might shift, things might change, that humans progress somehow, but... Luke chapter three and verse twenty, we see John the Baptist put in prison by Herod. Why? Because John the Baptist is, you know, such a troublemaker, such a wicked doer. No, because he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth to Herod. He spoke the truth about adultery. He said you should not be with the woman you have, the sister of someone else, um, someone, you know, the husband. Um, what he was doing was wrong. And Herod again, instead of listening jails him, and then, of course, beheads him. Prison being used for means in not which it's surely intended. Move into the book of Acts and we see, again, the apostles delivering God's word into the community and the community saying, ''Oh, great, fantastic.'' The religious leaders saying, ''Oh, great, fantastic.'' Yeah, some people listened, but a lot saw it as a threat. And when it's a threat, what do you do? Do you engage with it, or do you shut it down? Do you lock it away? Do you try to stop it? Of course, that's what they did. In Acts 5:18, we see the apostles in prison. Um, in this case, by the Jewish high priest. In doing so, for boldly preaching Christ, for proclaiming mighty miracles. Acts chapter 12 and verse 4, we see Peter put in prison. This is shortly after James has been put to death at the sword and Herod realises, hey, this pleases the Jews. The Jews don't like these guys and my job is to keep kind of the peace, keep things going along, um, keeping the good books of the, the Roman leaders and so if I put Peter in prison, they're like that. Acts 16 verse 22, we see the the camera shifting over to Paul, the same thing. The messengers being jailed. Paul in Acts 16.22 and Silas in prison by the magistrates in Philippi because what did they do? They went through and ransacked the place? No, they were speaking the truth about the corrupt practices of the commercial fortune tellers. The fortune tellers were, um, you know, um, shaman, they were... um, Conman, basically, and as a result, you know, Paul comes through and calls them out and says, You're wrong. And he casts a you know, demon out of the young girl, and um, their, you know, golden goose is being cooked. And they say, well, What do we do about this? And so, again, they try and use jail as a form of retribution against Paul for speaking out true things. And then we see Paul returning to Jerusalem, but a similar thing. In Acts 21 and verse 27, Paul being put into prison by the Roman commanders, but at the behest of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And there we see Paul playing out the latter days of his life Um, appealing to the Romans because of his citizenship, no doubt without that Roman citizenship things would have been much swifter and probably much more brutal for Paul, Um, but he's able then to travel to Rome and we see a number of his letters including Ephesians that Michael wrote from, Paul describing himself as a prisoner of Christ because He hasn't been doing the wrong thing. He hasn't been doing the things that we see typically people in prison for. He's been trying to preach the gospel and people not liking that message. And so he ends up in detention because of this. Finally, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, we see John the Apostle in prison by the Roman authorities, no doubt, put away on the island of Patmos. We see in verse 9 there, it says, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And some have suggested, "Ah, oh, well, he was maybe evangelizing over on the island there, but there were much bigger populations that John could have evangelized that actually it's most likely that he was, um, you know, basically imprisoned uh, on the island um, for, again... Striving to hold to God's word, striving to share it. Psalm sixty-nine in verse thirty-three. It says, "For the Lord hears the poor, and does not despise his prisoners." Interesting phrase, isn't it? You'd think oh, people in prison are unlikely to be God's people, but God recognizes that prison isn't just for, you know, the. Um, Uh, murderers and thieves and whatnot, that people use prison for the wrong reasons. And people use it to try to stop God's word or because they feel threatened by um, God's truths. But, of course, that's the olden days, right? That's, you know, real 2,000 years ago. We've progressed. We're a lot better than that, aren't we? We don't do that now. Suzanne Frank. Anne Frank, despite um, living in hiding for a number of years, was eventually found by the Nazi Germans occupying the Netherlands and taken to jail, taken to a particularly brutal form of jail, a concentration camp, and of course she died in that jail. She was 15 years old. What wrong did she do? She was just the wrong ethnicity, wasn't she? This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you might be familiar with. He was a um, German theologian, uh, again during the time of World War II, really spoke out publicly and in a way that not many felt comfortable in doing, rightly so perhaps. But he spoke out against the moral horrors of the Nazi German regime. Um, He was arrested, um, tried and jailed and pretty soon after hanged. Again, he was speaking truth to power. who did not want to listen. This is Primo Levi, who's a famous Italian. He, um, again, opposed the uh, Mussolini's regime and then the Nazi Germans who came into um, Italy uh, in the latter half part of the war. He was um, taken to the Altruish concentration camp and was there for, um, I think, at least a year he was one of six hundred and eighty or something that was sent to the jail uh, or, you know to the the camp, and he was one of twenty that survived that generally four to five months people survived. Um, he wrote of his experiences afterwards, one of the the great um, sort of works of literature of the twentieth century is his recollections he wasn 't overly emotive in many ways; he was sort of um, kind of very deliberate in his um, explanations of what he went through, of the horrors of it. Uh, he died some 40 years later, probably by suicide, and one of his friends, Eli Weasel, who was also a um, survivor of the, the Holocaust, he said that um, Primo Levi died in Auschwitz, but 40 years later. So just to reflect on you know, what such an experience does to people. This is Antonio Gramsci, again he was an Italian um, writer, philosopher, got on the wrong side of Mussolini, he was jailed for a long time, has a famous work of literature called The Prison Diaries, something like 3,000 pages or something, but um, a lot of that writing about how you know, things get corrupted And he was eventually released but had all sorts of health problems and and died not long afterwards. This is Steve Biko. Steve Biko was a prominent um, proponent or opponent to the apartheid regime in South Africa. Um, Spoke out against uh, all of the wrong that was done in a very deliberate fashion. In South Africa, in the sort of 1950s all the way through to the, the 1990s. Um, he was jailed, he was beaten pretty harshly, and he died in jail. And this is Aung San Suu Kyi. This, he, no, it's not. <laughs> That's Reuben Hurricane Carter. I've got my name. So this is Reuben Carter. He was um, jailed for. Um, a murder that it seems very clear that he didn't do and those who overturned um, his jailing said that um, he was jailed due to an appeal to racism rather than reason. Um, Again, just to really highlight these things. So this is Mahatma Gandhi and Jawaharlal Nehru both strong proponents of Indian independence. They were jailed on many occasions by the British colonial authorities. Gandhi eventually assassinated Nehru, uh, had assassination attempts on his life, but they spent a lot of time in jail. Uh, This is um, Vaclav Havel. He was, uh, again, a writer, um, playwright in Czechoslovakia in the 1960s. Again, opposed the, the horrors of what was a pretty brutal regime in Czechoslovakia. Uh, spent a lot of time in prison. This is Dilma Rousseff. Dilma Rousseff in Brazil. Brazil was overtaken by a military dictatorship in the 70s. From 1970 to 72, she was jailed and, and tortured. This is uh, Lujan Al-Hatul. She has been in prison for driving. And you think, was it lots of speeding fines? Was it um, crashing, whatever else? No, she's Saudi Arabian. And so she drives in Saudi Arabia as a woman. She is jailed. So it's not a very nice history, is it? And this is recent history. This is contemporary history prison being used for people because they're different, for different things, for reasons not of egregious wickedness. Again we can look at our own country can't we and we can see that British colonial history literally starts with us being a penal colony, literally starts with people in Britain being shipped out to the other side of the world. And I'm sure some of you here have probably looked into your own history and seen that your forebears were, were shipped out because they had stolen a loaf of bread or because they had you know, taken a pheasant from the land of a landowner, these type of things. So things that... Um, aren't worthy of, of um, imprisoning people, but used for reasons of um, you know, spurious things. And of course, not only, uh, and of course, you know, in the penal colony, we know that places like, you know, Port Arthur in Tasmania, um, Morton Island, was it, um, what's the one, St. Helens Island, that there were pretty brutal places that prisons were used and imprisonment was used as a, a method of intimidation, a method of um, brutalization really. And this, of course, carried across into the Indigenous population as well. When we visited up in Derby, which is way right up in the northwest of Western Australia, um, there's a Boab tree and it's called the prison tree. And it's called the prison tree because indigenous folk were basically enslaved and they were taken over to the pearling areas to work as, you know, pearlers. Um, But on the way over to to Broome, they were literally chained to this boab tree. And, of course, you know, that legacy continues to be problematic. In 1990, there was a Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody um, really designed to look at you know, the ways in which this becomes really problematic. Uh, In 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 2004, um, Cameron Zumergy was arrested for public nuisance and he died an hour later. This was up in North Queensland. He was the 147th death of an Aboriginal person since that inquiry in 1990. So the point is, is that you know, there's a lot of wrong things in the world and the idea of prison which in a black and white sense should be an arbiter of right and wrong has so often been abused and so often not been done in that right way and so I guess the ultimate point I'm trying to get at here is that we can't let the world determine for us what is right and what is wrong because it gets it wrong and it abuses that right and I'm not saying at all that we should abandon all the principles of, of justice, of, of jurisprudence, all of the instruments, you know. These things are necessary part of a civil society. Of course not every politician and police and and lawyer and leader and judge and jailer is is corrupt or, or brutal or out for their own things. It's not what we're saying at all. But what is clear from biblical history and is clear from contemporary history, across the board, across all societies, that covered most of the continents and all political persuasions and all ethnicities, right across the board, that imprisoning someone, often attendant, of course, with other forms of violence, other forms of suffering, other forms of punishment, is not used only for those doing wrong, but it's often used because one group does not agree with or does not like or is inconvenienced by or is challenged by someone else. And oftentimes it's actually that challenging, that inconvenience, is because of people holding fast to what is right of people striving for godly justice, of people speaking the truth. We can't let the world determine what is right and what is wrong because it gets it wrong. Proverbs 21 and verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but, He says, But the Lord weighs the heart. Isaiah 10.2 says, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed. God knows we do this. God knows that we act in ways which are not according to his will. As Christians, as people of God, As people who bear Christ's name, we need to be standard bearers for what is right. We need to be standard bearers for what is true. We need to be standard bearers for what is just. We need to be standard bearers for what is honourable. God says this in his word. He says it again and again and again. And we do well to listen and we do well to hold to these things and we do well to defend those who are holding to these things. To conclude, Psalm 19 and verses 7 to 11. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Again, Psalm 33, in verse 4 to 5, the psalmist says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We could pick a whole range of proverbs, but just the ones there on the board. Proverbs 12. In verse 2 and 3 it says, A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Again in verse 5, he says, The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked are lying wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. And finally, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 makes reference to many great men and women of faith who suffered who suffered for doing right. We've spoken this morning about prison, but there's plenty of other people who didn't even see a prison, who were put to death, who were beaten, who were all sorts of things because of their trust in God, because of their refusal to bow the knee to to wickedness, to corruption, to immoral purposes. Hebrews 11 talks about this a lot. And then in the last few verses, it talks more generally about people of faith. And he describes the situation we've been referring to this morning. He says, Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Talking here about Christians, talking here about people of faith, people of God. He's talking about them being in chains, in prison, being scourged for doing the right thing, for standing against the easy way, for standing with, you know, wicked purposes. He says they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. He says, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. He says, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. He's saying there that they didn't have it easy in this life. This life does not always make it easy for the right thing to be done. There will be lots of ways right throughout history, right across the board, right around the globe where the right thing is punished, where the right thing is held in contempt. He said these people, they suffered because of that. But that's okay. The world wasn't worthy of them. He says they've obtained a good testimony through their faith and that the ultimate outcome is going to be eternal life. It's going to be with God. It's going to be redeemed. It's going to be rewarded. And we're probably as least likely as anybody here in this room to be imprisoned particularly for our faith, but there's no guarantee. I'm sure Anne Frank in the 1930s never thought such a situation would arise for her. The point is that what is right we have from God's word. He's made it plain. He's made it clear for us. And people come and people go and people observe and people abuse God's word. We have an obligation and a privilege to hold fast to his word, to hold fast to what is right and to do it however the world shifts and swings. And in so doing, obtain a good testimony for our faith and the outcome of our souls, salvation and heavenly life. Thanks very much.